If you would go ahead and um, you can go ahead and turn to uh, Judges 4, uh, chapter 4. We're going to be this morning looking at uh, continuing in our study of the book of Judges. And um, uh, we're going to be looking at Judges 4 and 5. Now, let me put you at ease. We're not going to read the whole thing. Uh, There's just a a few verses that I want to make sure that you see. But I'm still going to tell you the story. And uh, I want to kind of make a, a little bit of, I'm going to go off script here a little bit. I'm going to make a little bit of a confession. That as I was reading this this week, um, you know, you ever have one of those weeks where you're, you're just kind of, you kind of, you don't even really wake up because you didn't sleep. And you're like, what's going to happen today? You know, what's next? And uh, that was kind of our week. And it was really that, you know, if you know, um, Psalm 10 Uh, Verse one, where um, the psalmist writes, why, O Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide from me in my troubles? I think that's what he says, something like that. And it it kind of felt like that this week as I was preparing, not in my preparation, but as I was preparing this this week. And so my confession is, is that probably... Um, as I was preparing and dealing with, with some things this week at work and other things that, that I probably saw a lot of things in this passage because I wanted to see them. And so as we pray in just a moment, uh, my prayer would be is that they would be helpful for you also. That it's not just this isn't a sermon uh, with an audience of, of Matt, okay? Matt's not just preaching into himself. Hopefully this will be helpful to you. So let's pray that that would be the case this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, I thank you for stories like this that um, can be so helpful if we stop and slowly look at them. That we can see something of your faithfulness. And we can see something of the faith that you call us to and what it looks like. And so, Father, I pray uh, this morning for us. I pray for um, for hearts that uh, that need to see uh, a faithful God. And um, I pray for that for those who maybe are not believers and uh, who have not seen a faithful God worthy of their own faith. And Father, I pray that for uh, those of us in this room who are believers, but the, the difficulty sometimes is believing uh, in the midst of uh, daily life that you are faithful and that we should put our faith in you even in the midst of, of trouble. And so we ask all this in the name of Jesus, whom we love. Amen. So um, you probably already know this about me, especially for friends on Facebook, that I am uh, getting ready for baseball season. And I do a, a, there's a couple things that I kind of do to get ready for baseball season. One of them is I watch Ken Burns' 17,000-hour documentary on baseball. If you've ever seen it, it is long and it's awesome. And uh, But also I read I, I, year-round, really, but especially this time of year, I like to read biographies and histories of baseball. And so I started last weekend reading one on Ted Williams. If you know anything about Ted Williams, he is 
by many regarded as the greatest hitter, not the greatest player, but the greatest hitter in baseball. Last person to hit over 400. Okay. And, um, one of the, uh, uh, the, his life is very interesting for a number of reasons. Number one, it's very interesting because, um, he pretty much raised himself, him and his brothers, his, his, his dad owned a little business that he ran himself and he was just never home. And his mom actually worked for the Salvation Army and was never home. I mean, she was never home. And, 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 when, and he actually says one reason why he rejected religion was because of that. And you read this book and, 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 and you know, you're reading one chapter and you're like, man, what an amazing ball player. And then the next one you're, go, you're going, what a jerk this guy is. I mean, what a jerk. I mean, one minute he's doing the most amazing things with a baseball bat at a young age. And then the next minute he is spitting on people during a game or towards people, whether it's the press or the fans or whatever. And then the next minute you read and he is being unbelievably generous with his money to strangers. I mean, unbelievably generous without wanting any acknowledgement of it at all. And then the next minute he's making obscene gestures to, uh, to re- to the umpires and to fans again, you know, the fans that were praising him are now booing him. And so he gives them an obscene gesture and he will do it to all points of the field, obviously. Um, and then the next chapter you may read about him and he will he would give his phone number his personal phone number so that doctors and hospitals throughout boston could call him even in the middle of the night and say hey we've got a child that is very very sick could you come visit with him and he would do it and if he saw somebody that was part of the press a member of the press at the hospital he would turn around and leave or try to get in a different way because he did not want any publicity. He want anybody to think that he was doing this to get good publicity. And then he would turn around and be a jerk to his kids or his wife or whichever wife it was at that point in time. And, and so it's just up and down and up and down. And I'm reading this the same time I'm studying for this sermon in Judges. And you get to Judges 4 verse 1 and you read this. And the people of Israel... Again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. You see this up and down constantly in the book of Judges. And, and, and you know, my first reaction is kind of the same reaction I kept having towards Ted Williams. I kept I, I, I kept being upset with him and then going, yes, and then upset and then going, yes. And kind of the same thing happens with Israel, right? I mean, throughout their whole history, but especially in Judges, you know, they uh, uh, they do evil and then, you know, God uh, punishes them and then they cry out to God and then he delivers them. And you're like, yes. And then they do evil again. You're like, ah, and it's over and over and over again. And so that's what we get to when we get to uh, chapter uh, four of Judges here. I'm just going to tell you the story instead of us reading it. Okay. Not because I think it's a better job, but because I want to make sure you see what's going on in this story so we can mine it for hopefully some, uh, some treasure at the end of chapter three, we read that Israel enjoyed at least 80 years 
of of rest or peace. Right. But um, God has blessed them 80 years. I mean, it's a whole generation of Israelites enjoying rest from their enemies. Okay, but then chapter four starts again. They did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And so what happens? And so God sells them, whether it's slavery or not, but sells them to Jabin, the pagan king of Canaan. And this king had a general, a commander of his army. His name was Sisera or Sisera. And uh, the people of God cried out to God because of this, because obviously he was cruel and they were pagans. Right. And, um, you know, for 20 years, there was obviously some difficulty there. And one of the things they point to is this was obviously a formidable foe because it says that he had 900 iron chariots. Now, my wife and I were pretty nerdy about the things we watch. And we recently watched a documentary on Netflix. This is how we roll in the Redmond household. Kids are in bed. Man, we pull out Netflix and we find the documentary that's the longest and the nerdiest that we can. And this one was on chariots. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating, am I? It was about chariots. And so they rebuilt a chariot. And one of the things they wanted to learn by studying these chariots and the history of, 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 of chariot tears was um you know how big of a deal were they in battle and the one thing that that they definitely walked away with number one these were very hard to produce and you had to be a very wealthy nation to, to do this but that it was a it was like the difference between having tanks and airplanes and not so this, this was a big deal. That's why this is pointed out that if you've got these iron chariots and not just chariots, because they made some of them out of wood, these are iron. OK, so they are um, they're able to move faster. They're able to. But they, they also have this protection. And so um, that's who Israel was dealing with. That's they were kind of under the thumb of this formidable foe. And so at this time, Deborah is um, the one who is judging Israel. This is the judge that we're talking about today. She is uh, the, the one who is, judge, is, is there a judges because she's a prophetess. But anyway, she's the one who's judging Israel. And she, uh, a, a man actually uh, comes to her. She calls Barak and she says, has not God actually commanded you to go out with your men and defeat this commander with all his chariots. And so he said to her, he's like, okay, if you go with me, I'll go. And so she says, I will. I will go with you. And so they go and they defeat this army. And, uh, but the one thing they don't defeat is they don't defeat the commander, Sisera. They don't. They don't defeat him. And so he gets away. I mean, this is just an awesome story. And so he gets away and he's fleeing. And um, he goes to this region or this area where they have a peace treaty. And there's this guy and he's, he's, he's thinking, well, this is a safe place for me to go. So I'll go there. I can be safe there. And so he goes and um, the wife of the man that he has the peace treaty with says, come into my tent. I will hide you. And um, obviously he's being pursued. By the Israelites. And so he goes into the tent. She covers him up and he goes, I'm thirsty. So she gives him some milk. And then he falls asleep. And, and she does this. I mean, 
the most unthinkable thing. She takes a tent peg and a hammer and beats it through his skull and kills him. I mean, that's about PG-13. And then they go and they defeat the rest of the army. Well, she actually says to uh, Barak, she says, she says, come in here, see what I've done. And then they defeat the uh, uh, Jabin. They, actually, the word is destroy him. They destroy him. And then they sing a song, a duet. Deborah and Barak sing a song. And I, it, it, they, they really do. They both, it says they both sing it. And they sing the song at the end of Thanksgiving. And then they have rest. The, the land has rest for 40 years. Now, as a kid, I loved the story. I was a pastor's kid, and I would sit in church while the sermon was being preached, and I would read this story and other stories. Now, this was before high school, and I discovered Song of Solomon. But I would, then I would sing. I would read that one. But I loved this story. I mean, I mean, it's got violence. It's got intrigue. It's got the unexpected. It's got everything you... And as a kid, I loved it because, you know, tent peg in the skull, that was awesome. As an adult, though, I read this story and I go, I love this story now, though, for a totally different reason. I look at it and I go, this is a story about God's faithfulness to his people and what faith in that faithfulness looks like. So there's a, a, a few questions I want to ask of the passage. Um. And the first one is, I want to go, I want to ask, where do we see the faithfulness of God? Well, in two ways in particular. First of all, I think we see the faithfulness of God in his revealing of their unfaithfulness. Think about the story. He says, why, you know, why were they in the predicament they were in? Their trust in God had waned. And I think it was because their life was so good. I think it was because they, they, they had a whole generation of, of, of peace and they, and they just relaxed. I think their faith just relaxed. And so what did God do? Well, th- so they started acting like the nations around them, the, the, the pagans around them. And so and so then God sells them over to Jabin. And then they, they cry out to God. They see they've you know, it, it, it's almost like God says, you, know, you want to live like the pagans? Here you go. I give you the pagans. And then they cry out to God and God actually hears their cries. And so I think we see the faithfulness of God here in the fact that he reveals to them their unfaithfulness. Let me give you an example. We've been going to Moss Rock a lot lately. And whenever the days have been nice and uh, my boys love to run ahead on the trails. If you've ever been to Moss Rock or just about any trail, really. But it seems like at Moss Rock, there's a lot of huge roots on the trails. And we keep saying, slow down. You're going to trip and fall. Well, Knox is kind of a, a natural. I mean, he just whizzes through the trails, never falls. He's, you know, the outdoorsman, I guess. Dylan, on the other hand, who is four, trips over every single root that is there. And he tends to find roots that aren't even on the path and trips over those. And we keep telling him, slow down, slow down, slow down. And, and finally, we're like, OK, we're just going to let him fall. We're just going to let him see how painful it is. And he did. He fell one time. And I mean, it was very painful. And everybody at Moss Rock knew that he fell because he was so loud. And I think I, I, I think we would all agree. I mean, especially if you're a parent 
But, you're, but if, you're, uh, if you're not a parent, you probably had parents who would do this. And you look back and you go, this was actually faithfulness as a parent to do this. To actually, let, to, to actually reveal to them their inadequacy, their need, their pro, the, the, the evil that is in them, if you will. Let them make the mistake almost and then reveal it. They have to see it. I mean, that's exactly the way we think about the gospel, right? I mean, we look at the gospel and we have to acknowledge that there's bad news before there's good news. The gospel is a meaningless piece of information unless you know that unless you're in a predicament that says I need good news. So I think that we we see God's faithfulness in this story by putting them in a position where they would actually cry out to him. Obviously, they were not crying out to him in that 80 years or at least at the end of that 80 years of peace. And so he put them in a position where they would actually go, we need you, God. Second, I think that God shows his faithfulness in this story. And um, I think we see it in unexpected ways. God, uh, Chris actually pointed this out last week. But you know, God seems to be in the business of doing things the way we would not do them. Of doing the unexpected to draw attention to the fact that he's doing it. Um, let's just assume that it's not that big a deal for there to be a female prophetess or a female judge. Okay, let's just, let's just assume that that's not that big a deal. Let's assume that it's not a big deal for the one to actually kill this formidable foe, the commander of this army... That it's, it's not unusual, let's just assume it's not unusual for her to take a, you know, for, for this woman to take a, a, a tent peg and hammer it through his skull. Okay, let's just assume those, the fact that two women are kind of playing big parts in the story. Let's assume that's not unexpected. I think it is, but let's assume it's not. There's still a lot of unexpected stuff in this story. He, I mean, first of all, you have an army that the storyteller here is trying to get you to see is very it's going to be very difficult to defeat i mean yes israel there was 10,000 men but we've got 900 there's no mention of chariots whereas we have lots of men on the other side along with all these chariots obviously it's unexpected that israel would win here i think that's the point of the story to draw attention to the fact that god did it and then second, who would have expected this woman to do this to the commander of the army? I mean, if you've never read this story before and she, she says, come into my tent, you're not expecting for him to get it in the head with a tent peg when it happens. If you've never read the story before, it's surprising. It kinda, it's kind of shocking. It's one reason why I loved it as a kid. Because, I mean, it's just, it's just out of nowhere. And so... Um, and so I, I think, again, that the, and the fact that she is the wife of the man with whom the commander of the army was at peace with. I think God shows his faithfulness when he does, when he shows his faithfulness to us through the unexpected. Think about the cross itself. You look at the cross and imagine you're there. The only thing you expect watching that story on Good Friday is tragedy. 
That's all it looks like. It does not look like anything but tragedy. But the unexpected happens, right? Jesus is raised and he's raised as king. And the very thing that looked like a tragedy is actually the means by which everyone can be saved. So I think that we see God's faithfulness in two ways. In revealing their faithlessness and in unexpected ways. Second question I want to ask is I want to go, okay, so this is what God looks like in, in faithfulness, okay? Now, what does faith in that faithfulness look like? What does it look like to trust it? Well, I, there's probably a number of ways here, but I've got two I want to uh, talk about. The first one is, and let me back up here. The reason why we have to ask this question is because if you go to Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 32, Barak is actually mentioned as an example of faith. And so, and so I think that's a good question to ask. What does faith in the faithfulness of God look like? So the first thing, first we see this, I think, in the Israel's, the Israelites crying out to God. You know, our first reaction may be a little too late, Israelites. You had your chance. He delivered you once. I mean, how many of us do this? We do this, right? Uh, I mean, as a parent, sometimes I want to do this. Okay? Look, I helped you once. Okay? Dylan, we told you once, don't run because you'll trip. Don't run at full speed, okay? Because you'll trip and fall. Trips and falls. Gets up crying, a mess, very upset. What does he do? A minute later. Runs, trips and falls. I think he fell four times last weekend. And so I, I think that the one thing that we need to see here is that whereas our first inclination is to go, this is just a little bit too late. I think the thing we need to see here is they're in a perfect position. Because they're saying, I am helpless. And so the first thing I think that we need to say that faith looks like, faith in God's faithfulness looks like, is helplessness. Their helplessness seems to be the requirement by which God will actually come and save them. But there's another place we see it too. And I I, want to, you know, I'm I'm, going to kind of make a guess about this one. When I was reading about this, and I'd read this once before, um, read a couple different places. One person actually suggested that uh, Barak might have actually been kind of cowardly in asking Deborah, look, I'll go if you go. If you go with me, I'll go. Okay, I know I'm supposed to go, but I need you to go. And if you don't go, I ain't going. And they're suggesting that because she's a woman, she's being cowardly. And I want to, and my reaction to that was, I don't think so, because Deborah was the one that actually revealed to him. I mean, it's almost as if she's speaking the words of God to him. She's the one that says, didn't God say to you that you need to go out and do this and defeat these pagans? And so, and so I think what happened is, is that, is that he said, yes, I, I need to do this, but I cannot do it alone. And I need you to go with me. I need your help because 
And, and I think in saying I need your help, I think he's saying I need God's help because you're you're kind of you know, you're a prophetess. You're the judge. And so if you go with me, I know that God will go with me. I th- I'm. I think one of the things that cuts across American. Just um, just being an American, being a Westerner in this world. Is when we say that our salvation is dependent upon our helplessness. That we come empty handed saying, I am helpless. God, help me. I cannot help myself. And I think we see that here. And then second, thankfulness. We see thankfulness. All of chapter 5 is the song sung by them dealing with what is God, God has done. Is a, is a recognition of what he has done and their appreciation of him saving them. It, you know, it, Helplessness is, is kind of saying, um, I cannot do this. I need help. Thankfulness is saying, I did not do this. Thank you for doing it. I think you put those two together. And what you get is you get a picture of what faith in the faithfulness of God is for us. You know, we, we, we tend to look at faith in God as being something of strength from a position of strength. When actually, I think it comes from a position of weakness of going, God, I need you. I need you to do. I need you to save me entirely. I need you to do the whole thing. And then afterwards, in faith, saying, God, you're the one that did this. You're the one that accomplished this. I used to uh, always make my students answer a final question when we would do things like Bible study and, you know, Sunday school and things like that. The final question was always, and, and they used to, I used to think, I, I think I drove them crazy sometimes. The final question was always, so what? So what? So I want to answer that question. And first I want to say, for the, for the unbeliever, it is a struggle to believe God is really faithful and you wonder if you can trust him. If you're not a believer, it is. That's really what it is. If you've been presented with the gospel, it is a struggle to go. Can is this God faithful enough for me to put my trust in for me to say I'm going to put myself in a helpless, vulnerable position where he deserves all the thanks for saving me from my great problem. And if, if, if that's you, if, if, if there's anybody like that this morning, I want to say, look at. You know, the picture of faithfulness that I think we can look at is on the cross where Jesus says. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And I look at that and I go, that is a picture of faithfulness that is also revealing the faithlessness of the people who is doing it, but doing it with grace and mercy. And in a way that says, look, if, if Jesus can do that at the moment he's being nailed to the cross, at the moment cru- his enemies are crucifying him, 
That's the kind of faithfulness that you're being asked to say, I go to you helplessly and thankfully. Now, for the unbeliever, I mean, for the believer, though, this is daily life, right? Daily life is a struggle to believe that God is being faithful and to have faith in that faithfulness. I I had an epiphany while I was studying this. And, um, you know, Israel certainly struggled to see the faithfulness of God while under the thumb of Jabin. That's true. But I think they struggled to see the faithlessness, I mean, the faithfulness of God when things were good. I think they took it for granted and probably forgot about it, which is which is what I do when things are going well. That's when I I am least likely to put my faith in the faithfulness of God. When things go poorly is when I'm most likely to probably cry out to him. It takes a while sometimes, but that's when I'm most likely to do it. And so I I need and I think we all need stories like this to remind us that this is the God that we go to in faith. One who is faithful and and not only is he, I don't even really point this out, but he's faithful in spite of. Of Israel's faithlessness. And in spite of my faithlessness. And that daily I need, we need to go to him helplessly and with thanksgiving. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. And um, I thank you that. You have revealed yourself to us as a God who is faithful. As one who we can, as it were, put all of our eggs in the basket of what you have done. We, we, can, we, we can give you our whole lives. And Father, that's difficult because... Sometimes things go so well that we think, oh, you know, I'm just cruising along. I don't don't need you. Or sometimes things are going difficult and we say to you, where are you? Why do you stand so far away? And so, Father, I pray that we would be people who would go to you in faith, trusting that you are always faithful even when it doesn't look like it. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.